Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we engineer weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, journalist Matthew LaPlante talks about extreme biology. First up, here's news of political prisoners. Journalism is not a crime. Award-winning Australian journalist Julian Assange is sick and injured in the hospital wing of a high-security prison in Britain, awaiting extradition to America, where he's charged with committing acts of journalism. Whistleblower Chelsea Manning is in prison in America while accumulating $1,000 per day fines for refusing to incriminate herself. America used to be a country with constitutional protection of the right against self-incrimination and freedom of speech. Is an Australian citizen publishing in Europe under United States jurisdiction but without the rights of an American citizen? Is WikiLeaks an intelligence agency spying on the US government on behalf of the people of the world? If the public can't be informed by journalists, then democracy dies. The whole world becomes Guantanamo Bay. If the Trump administration can prosecute an Australian journalist in Europe for publishing material on the US, why can't Russia prosecute an American journalist in Washington for revealing secrets about Moscow? Why can't Saudi Arabia prosecute a Turkish journalist for revealing secrets about the Khashoggi murder? Julian Assange may be executed or face life in jail for running a website. WikiLeaks is not a hacking organisation, but essentially just a website that doesn't log who uses it, where you can upload documents anonymously, with staff who validate that the documents are genuine, often working with leading newspapers around the world. Julian Assange calls it scientific journalism. Not a single one of the stories published by WikiLeaks has ever been proved wrong, and they've all been published in newspapers around the world. Assange is the first journalist to be charged under the World War I Espionage Act. US military documents reveal that they call him a writer of news articles, which is close to the dictionary definition of journalist. In 2011, Julian Assange won the Australian Walkley Award for Outstanding Journalism and the British Martha Gellhorn Award for Journalism at the Cutting Edge that challenges secrecy and mendacity in public affairs and raises forgotten issues of public importance without fear or favour working against the grain of government spin. The American government publicly says that Julian Assange is not a journalist, so the laws protecting journalism don't apply. If you allow different free speech laws for journalists than for the public, then you open yourself to the government defining anyone they don't like as not a journalist, and nobody has free speech. The Espionage Act is an old law from the war against the Kaiser of Germany in 1918. Under the Espionage Act, you're not permitted to defend yourself using the fact 
that it's in the public interest to know when the US government breaks the law. The last person convicted under the Espionage Act was Reality Winner for releasing documents from the National Security Agency proving that the Russian government interfered in the American election of 2016. The American government's Central Intelligence Agency has been running a well-funded smear campaign against Julian Assange for years. The smears are widely believed, even though most of them contradict each other, or are just impossible. He skateboarded around the corridors of the Ecuadorian embassy. When the illegal surveillance videos show that he was on a skateboard a visitor brought once, for about 30 seconds, in which he travelled 5 centimetres. At the time he was accused of abusing his cat, he'd already given the cat away to friends with a big backyard, so the cat could have a better life than he does. Assange leaked about the Democratic Party, fraudulently miscounting votes to let Hillary Clinton win the presidential candidacy unopposed. But he never leaked about Trump. My search found 14,000 leaks about Donald Trump on the WikiLeaks website. He never leaked against Putin. My search showed over 10,000 leaks about Putin on the WikiLeaks website. It takes seconds to go to wikileaks.org, type a name into the search box, and find this information. Daniel Ellsberg published the Pentagon Papers in the New York Times in 1971, proving that President Nixon had lied to the public and to Congress about the Vietnam War. He was charged under the Espionage Act, but the charges were dismissed when it was shown that President Nixon's government had organised an illegal smear campaign against him. Daniel Ellsberg has stated that the American government has been smearing Julian Assange in the same way. The US government-controlled International Monetary Fund granted the Ecuador government over $4 billion and the US government-dominated World Bank loaned Ecuador $6 billion barely two months before Ecuador invited UK police into the embassy. The American agents in the Ecuador embassy confiscated Julian Assange's shaving kit so that he would be humiliated by appearing with a big woolly beard when he was kidnapped by the British police. Under British law, bail is only breached if there's a failure to meet bail without reasonable cause which the human right to seek asylum certainly is. The court was only able to give Assange 10 months in prison time for the bail charge, and a fair court would have allowed him time served for his over seven years imprisonment in the embassy. Julian Assange is due to be released from prison just in time for the extradition hearing in February 2020. It's illegal for the UK to extradite someone for a political offence. The UK Home Secretary is on record promising President Trump that he will make certain Assange is extradited. He is the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, Nils Melzer, talking about the way Julian Assange was tortured to the Rupley News Service. I would say he has been exposed to various forms and degrees of cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment that cumulatively have the effects of psychological torture. Now, he has been confined to a very controlled space in the Ecuadorian embassy for seven years, with a, a, a very limited amount of, of factors that can impact his life. So this allows us also to assign the, the, the causality to these medical symptoms uh, with a higher degree of certainty, because he has not been exposed to other influences for so long. 
in our view, the main factors that contributed to producing now this, this situation are the constant vilification and humiliation and unrestrained threats against him in the public space by the mainstream media, but also by current and former officials of these various governments up to state leadership, including even judicial magistrates involved in cases against Mr. Assange. The actual motives of these proceedings seem to be to get Julian Assange extradited to the United States to make an example of him that would deter others from imitating WikiLeaks and Julian Assange in their activities. In these processes, in all of them, his, uh, uh, the standards of due process under international law have been seri seriously violated. Uh, it is my assessment that if he's extradited to the U.S., he has no chance to get a fair trial. It, it looks, when we look at the 17 charges that have been added recently, uh, they all refer to activities that would normally be carried out by investigative journalists. So I do believe that media uh, uh, and mainstream media have uh, uh, all reasons to be concerned about this type of proceeding and that it might set a precedent that would be extremely harmful for press freedom around the world. If a state wants to lift asylum, there is a procedure to do that, but it's a due process procedure that is properly announced where you have arguments on both sides, you may have a legal representation and then there will be a decision that can be appealed to a court. But a president just deciding one morning that today I will expel Julian Assange and take away his citizenship is certainly not even constitutional under Ecuadorian law. I believe it's very important to have this kind of comprehensive picture, the big elephant in the room in this affair is always the United States wanting to get their hands on Julian Assange. And I suspect, unfortunately, to conduct a show trial so everybody else will be deterred from doing the same things. In my assessment, there is no chance he would get a fair trial. I don't, under the current charges, I don't believe that the death penalty would be possible, uh, but there, there's nothing to prevent the United States from adding additional charges once she has been extradited, based on the same facts that they want his extradition for. And so I think there is, uh, even without the death penalty, there is uh, every reason to, uh, to uh, refuse that extradition because there is, as I said, almost no chance that he will get a fair trial, and I believe that the sanctions that will be imposed to him on him will uh, make sure that he will never set foot out of a prison again. I have worked in areas of war, armed conflict, other situations of violence and political persecution for 20 years. So I don't lightly come to the conclusions I have published today, but I have to say what I have never seen is several democratic states ganging up in order to persecute and, is, and isolate a, and single out a particular individual um, without granting him the protection uh, that actually is accorded to him by the law. Julian Assange is wrongly accused of releasing hundreds of files without ever reading them or checking to see who would be hurt by their contents. Daniel Domscheit-Berg, while pretending to repair the WikiLeaks computers, sabotaged the WikiLeaks Anonymous website and stole an encrypted file of the Afghan files from WikiLeaks and distributed this file on BitTorrent. By itself, this wouldn't have caused a problem except for the fact that David Lee from The Guardian chose to publish the password to the encrypted file in a book called WikiLeaks Inside Julian Assange's War on secrecy. 
David Lee didn't just copy the password given to him on a piece of paper, but actually wrote the parts of the password that Assange told him to just remember. This breached a confidentiality agreement with WikiLeaks that David Lee had signed. Brigadier General Robert Carr, a senior counterintelligence officer who led the Pentagon's review into the fallout from these disclosures of state secrets, told the Manning sentencing hearing in 2013 that no instances were ever found of any individual killed by enemy forces as a result of having been named in the releases. The Taliban did kill one person and announced it was tied to the release of the WikiLeaks Afghan files, but when Carr investigated, he found the individual's name wasn't listed in any of the cables. The Taliban had lied. This lie now forms a basis for most of the 17 charges of espionage against Julian Assange. The hacking charge claims that he spoke to Manning to ask for more stories, as all investigative journalists ask their sources, and that this constitutes conspiracy to break into computers other than the ones that Manning was already cleared to access. Assange has never been charged with rape by the Swedish justice system, just endless warrants for questioning. Both women involved denied they'd been raped. The case was closed and the arrest warrant removed after Swedish officials visited Assange in the embassy. The prosecutor recently failed to have a court order for Assange be detained for questioning yet again. The American government wants to imprison a whistleblower and a journalist for revealing American soldiers murdered unarmed civilians, including children, and for revealing other embarrassing crimes by the government. The Australian government wants to imprison whistleblowers and journalists for revealing that Australian soldiers murdered unarmed civilians, including children, and for revealing other embarrassing crimes by the government. Smells identical. The Australian Federal Police raided the homes of two newspaper journalists and the officers of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the public broadcaster, looking for the identity of whistleblowers who provided embarrassing information about Australian government crimes that were reported two years ago. A woman journalist had her cutlery dumped on the floor while officers flicked through the pages of her recipe books and her underwear drawer was rifled for seven hours. Charges have been laid against the people that reported the crimes to the press. It's not ruled out that the journalists will also be charged. Here's Australian Federal Police Acting Commissioner, Neil Garn. Public interest is something that we look at in relation to our investigations from the outset. And minutes later... Um, the, the issue of whether or not the public has a right to know is, is really not an issue that comes into our investigation process. The Australian government, or particularly the Australian law enforcement intelligence communities, rely on secret and top secret information from our international partners, particularly Five Eyes partners, to ensure the fact that we keep the Australian community safe. Now, if we can't be seen to protect our own internal information, we are concerned that the information flow to us dries up. Smells like foreign interference. It's not the first time. WikiLeaks has published documents showing that the Australian Prime Minister Gough Whitlam was fired by the Governor-General because he threatened to close the Pine Gap American electronic spying base in Australia. Other leaks reveal that the Prime Minister Kevin Rudd was replaced by Prime Minister Julia Gillard because the American intelligence agency ordered their man, Senator Mark Abib, in the Australian Labor Party to make it happen. 
The Australian Department of Foreign Affairs states that their obligations require them to make sure that Australian prisoners in foreign jails are treated the same as other prisoners. However, the United Nations Rapporteur on Torture reported that Julian Assange is not allowed to use a computer and he's not allowed time with his lawyers to prepare his defence, as other prisoners in Belmarsh Prison are entitled to do. The Australian government is not fulfilling its minimal obligations to an Australian citizen. They should be extraditing him back to Australia to face Australian justice, just like Mamdou Habib and David Hicks, who were also kidnapped, tortured and imprisoned by the American government. Bring Julian Assange home. Journalism is not a crime. Here's Fidel Navais, former consul at the Ecuadorian embassy, talking about the theft of Julian Assange's legal and medical documents, with the rest of his belongings, to the Rupley News Service. We are making history now. There is no precedent that I know that ever before a country that granted political asylum, handed over a political refugee to his persecutors, opened the doors of his diplomatic premises for a foreign power to come and kidnap a political refugee and then steals the belongings of the political refugee and hands it over to his persecutors. What is happening today is illegal. There is not any judge order that authorizes seizing Julian's belongings. So no Ecuadorian judge has ordered that. I don't think any U.S. judge has ordered that, no a British judge. There are Julian's belongings. The Ecuador cannot just do whatever they want with it. And certainly, I don't think they can hand it over to a foreign power. It is abusive. It's very likely that things are going to be sent first to Ecuador and inspected by the Ecuadorian government and police and then handed over to the Americans. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Superlative. Matthew LaPlante is an assistant professor of journalistic writing at Utah State University, and he's the author of the book Superlative, The Biology of Extremes. I began by asking him, what sort of extremes are you looking at? So we are looking at extremes of evolution, the ways in which organisms, plants, animals, microorganisms have been pushed by nature to extend their capacities and capabilities into niches that were not previously filled. And in particular, we're looking at the ones that have done this in what we might consider record-setting ways. So we're looking at the largest of things, and we're looking at the fastest of things, and we're looking at the smallest of things and the deadliest of things. And how did you get started on this journey? It was a little strange because I'm not a science writer. I wasn't a science writer. This is not my background. In fact, I've been telling a lot of people lately, especially students who I talk to, young students who I talk to, that I was actually quite bad at science. 
when I was growing up, I failed or nearly failed almost all of my science courses in high school. And for a long time, I went through my life thinking, well, that's just, you know, it was always something I was interested in, but never something I thought I was good at. And um, really the story of this book begins one night when I wake up and I have this question in my head, like people have questions in their head, right? They, you know, we lived in this glorious, magical time where, you know, we're just a, a Google search away from answers. And so I woke up thinking, oh, I wonder what the oldest life form in the world is. And so I rolled over and I opened up my laptop and I typed in what is the oldest life form in the world. And the answer was that there's really no answer. There's no good answer, at least, which kind of surprised me. But that one of the candidates, one of the things that many scientists think that might be the oldest living thing on the planet is an interconnected aspen forest. This is a an aspen colony that is connected in its root structure that was just a few hours south of my home. And I thought, well, isn't that fortuitous? And I went down to visit it. And fortunately, I have a colleague at Utah State University who I discovered had been doing research on this organism. And he took me down and he showed it to me. And when I saw it through his eyes, it was just so awe-inspiring. And I thought, I, I want to write about this thing. And the glory of being a journalist is that you get paid to be nosy. So I found somebody to pay me to write an article about this Aspen clone. And then I thought, well, gosh, I'd like people to pay me to go find more organisms <laughs> like this. And, and that's how it got started. So this Aspen tree has enough shoots to be a whole forest in itself. It is a one tree forest, as some people like to say. Yeah, it's, a, it's more than 100 acres in size, which also makes it a candidate for the largest living organism that we know of. So it's superlative in multiple ways. And how old did you say it was? Estimates vary. You can't age a clonal tree in the same way you can age, like, say, a bristlecone pine, which is uh, the oldest singular tree that we know of. Those can grow upwards of 5,000 years, and we know this because we'll take a core sample or we'll cut one down and count the rings as, as you do to count the age of any tree. But you can't do the same thing with a clonal tree because their stems, what we think of as trunks, pop up, stick around for 100 or 120 years and then fall over. But the root structure remains there. And so they, scientists have had to come to an estimate of this clone's age in different ways. And there are a lot of different estimates, but they range from several thousand years to 80,000 years. There's one estimate that's really on the high side that says 800,000 years. I don't think very many people believe that, but that's, that's one of the estimates. But I think popular scientific consensus is somewhere between 30 and 80,000 years, which is, if you think about it in terms of the evolution of our own species, is pretty incredible. It is. I mean, when I think of extreme animals, I usually think of the tardigrades, the water bears. Those are in my book too. Yeah, I've, I've got them in the chapter about toughest organisms in the world. And I know that is uh, certainly subjective, but I'll, I'll take that argument with anyone because these things are incredible. They can survive in the vacuum of space. They can survive boiling water or freezing temperatures. They can be dehydrated for decades at a time and then brought back to life with just a little shoot of water. They're absolutely amazing organisms just extraordinary but are they going to be able to survive things like climate change you know there's been some good research on that and one of the things that i write about in the book is that indeed even though it is very likely that 
tardigrades will be on this planet for a lot longer than we will. And some, some scientists believe they may in fact be so incredibly well adapted to life at the extremes on this planet that they could potentially stick around through the supernova of our sun. The tardigrade will likely make it. But even those they, that some species of tardigrade are likely to last many tens of thousands of years and maybe many hundreds of thousands of years, not millions of years past us, there are some species that almost are almost guaranteed to not make it past uh, the damage that we're doing to the climate right now. And there's actually some scientists in Italy who've done some work on a tardigrade species that's found in Antarctica, and it is likely that those will be pushed out of existence if we can't get a handle on climate change. That was part one of my interview with Matthew LaPlante, author of Superlative, The Biology of Extremes. Listen next week for part two. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, 2XXFM in Canberra, and my local station, 2RDJ in Burwood, New South Wales. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.